This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. What's going on? We are back on another action-packed episode of Be Heard Talk. And of course, I have to start the show off with my wife, young queen goddess JT. First day out, she came out of prison and put that song on wax, and I knew I had found me a new black queen to worship. Shout out to JT. Speaking of this is me, Stan F. Stanley Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on IG at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Facebook at Stanley Goodhair Fritz. We all know it's a joke. Mark Zuckerberg won't let me change it, so I'm stuck with it now. But if you like me that much, you can even go to Snapchat where I get my thought filter rocking at, and it's Dark Skin Swindle. We got a packed show with a lot of great people here, and I see the melanated, moisturized king on the screen, Damon Stubbs. Speak your truth. Yeah, but I don't know. Damon is looking melanated and moisturized, so I don't know. Well, I'll actually introduce Damon, even though I'm like a little lag. But before we get to our guest, um, I just happen to be the executive producer and co-host of the show and founder. I happen to be Selena. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. Um, so yes, this is Be Her Talk, where we talk race politics, and culture. We do that all from our very diverse perspectives. Um, we're going to be the most diversified ever, well, in a long time, I want to say ever, because we have a very special guest who will be joining us later in the show. Um, we, we seldom hear from our conservative brothers and sisters on this platform, so we wanted to extend an invitation, and you know, a little later on, I am super excited to introduce uh, Jason Landon. Not yet! He will be coming on later. Um, but before that, I'm super happy to have Damon back on the show. Harlem's very own. Damon is, he is actually an account executive at a fintech firm. He currently serves as the National Urban League Movement as a young professional, both locally and nationally. And he is the founder and organizer of Conscious in Pentecost, a faith initiative and multi-platform movement that confronts Racial injustice in both sacred and secular spaces. Welcome back to the show, Damon. Hey, what's going on, family? Yo, it is really dope to be back. I'm excited. I can't wait. And y'all brought me in for the Kamala special. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think this is my third time on the show. So I'm ready to get into it. So what's good? Yes. <laughs> yes. Tammy. After coming to the show three times, oh. I'm going to ask you for money now. And I ain't going to pay you back neither. But I'll tell you, I got you on the first. <laughs> word, word, word. I'm about to start at least sharing my cash app. Y'all gonna at least have to do that. So. <laughs> but listen, let's get to the news roundup goddess, the queen petty, the master of messy, the eyelash mommy, Tammy. Watch the <laughs> beloved David. Oh, the yes, yes. And that is how a queen should be treated. That is the expectation every week beyond this. Hi, y'all. Happy Sunday. Uh, my name is Tammy David. I'm the newest co-host of Be Heard, otherwise known as your problematic fave. I cannot wait for our conversation later because today my bullshit is y'all still ain't convinced me to vote. So maybe you'll change my mind. Uh, for now, I'm just really excited to share some of the stories that we've been talking about this week through the News Roundup, which is our segment where we air the best and the worst of the, the week, the Twitter drama, the hot Facebook mess, and whatever it is your auntie is calling you about. Um, today we have some interesting international political news, and we're gonna be standing a country singer. 
So strap on those yeehaw boots, y'all, because I got some stories for y'all. Um, I want to start first with that last comment, because I know y'all are like, what is she talking about? Well, it looks like not all Caucasian people are canceled in the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I know this week I can rest with canceling problematic white people because Dolly Parton, an American sweetheart and the woman whose bosom is almost as iconic as her vocal cords, has told us that she's an ally. In a recent interview with Billboard, she talks about adjusting her business empire to the pandemic, but more importantly, she brought back the Black Lives Matter movement. We ain't letting this die, y'all. We ain't letting this die. She says in a statement that, I understand people having to make themselves known and felt and seen. And of course, Black Lives Matter. Do we think our little white asses are the only ones that matter? No. And while other Southern faves have taken this moment to rebrand themselves, like the Dixie Chicks calling themselves the Chicks and Lady Antebellum changing her name to Lady A, it seems like Dolly has been doing her part over the last few years to listen. In 2018, she changed the name of an attraction to her par in her park from Dixie Stampede to The Stampede. And she has been known to say that when you realize something is an issue, don't be a fix it. So thank you, Dolly, for those words of wisdom. Damon, are you a Dolly Parton fan? Does this mean anything to you? Are you feeling special right now? <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, Dolly Parton. She all right. You know, Dolly, shout out to Dollywood. You know, shout out yes. to Dollywood. The amusement park has put a lot of smiles on people's faces. But most of all, I like Dolly in this sense because she just made it real simple. She just made it real plain. She didn't say, but. She didn't say all lives. She just said, do we think we're the only ones that matter? Like, Period, point blank, full stop. And I think that's what a good ally does. Don't make excuses, talk to your people directly <laughs> and tell them we're not the only one that matters. So Dolly, as of right now, she's back in my book. I might just go to Spotify and stream a couple songs. You know, just might, just might well, do that. That's a really good point actually, because Selena, my question for you is, do you think this is a publicity stunt? Cause now we're talking about streaming her music and supporting her. Um, no, I, I don't think it's a publicity stunt. And forgive me, y'all. Y'all remember when versus when Nelly went against Ludacris and it was raining and then he had a really bad reception? That's happening to me now. So forgive me for the, the <laughs> bad reception and my video quality. But um, no, Dolly Parton has always been very um, outspoken, if you will, uh, when it comes to, you know, her gender politics and just um, feminism, feminism, like she's always been like, hey, I, she literally said, I want it to look like the town, the town tramp. Yeah. Um, and like, she was very open about, you know, getting breast implants and any other plastic surgery that she has gotten done. So no, I think it's on brand for her to say something like this. And I think it's actually really appreciated because I feel like in order to really dismantle white supremacy, we need more white folks educating their own communities about racism and the significance of black lives. So for her to say this, and obviously she's speaking to her core base are our white country fans. Not enough of them take Black Lives Matter, you know, seriously and um, have aligned themselves with the movement. So yes to, to Dolly. And actually, I want to point out something else because during her cover story with Billboard, she actually said something else that I said that I found really interesting. And that is, and I quote, there's a thing, there's a there's such a thing as innocent ignorance. And so many of us are guilty of that. Yeah. Now, when she said innocent ignorance, I thought of like, I honestly, like that's a thing that we don't talk about enough. And I feel like she was a perfect example of that back in 2018 when 
she actually renamed a restaurant in one of her theme parks. It was Dixie Stampede. She changed it yeah. to a stampede because at that time in 2018, she realized Dixie is a term associated with the Confederacy. So yeah, and, and you know, it speaks to the fact that our education system really sucks. We, it has been completely whitewashed and we're not educating um, our students and people enough to understand what is actually racist and offensive and what is not. Honestly, good point. I, I feel like that is the stuff. Well, let me ask Stanley. Do you feel like this is the stuff that radicalizes white people? Um, I don't know. Maybe it opens up the eyes of some white people and it makes other white people feel bad. I actually have a question on, on Facebook Live, Timmy. Can I ask it? Yeah, yeah, please. So our Naj John says, how do y'all separate an ally from someone trying to gain publicity? And she says, Dolly was open. However, this is a new topic but this is new for her to speak out on. My thing with Dolly is Dolly don't need no help getting no clicks nowhere because everybody puts respect on Dolly's name. But that's true. How can you tell the difference, the difference between somebody who's being an ally and somebody who's trying to secure the, the bag with a Black Lives Matter banner? You know, that's a good question. But, you know, like Selena said, it it's not... I feel like it's not new for her. And I'm not, you know, I like a few of Dolly's songs. You know, Jolene is a bop and anybody can fight me on that. But I don't know her really so well because country music is not my forte. And so I just need to know, like, if she before seems to have stood on the right side of things, because this is certainly not the first time we've even heard the Black Lives Matter phrase this summer, um, then, you know, it's clear that the proof is in the work that she's done. So maybe we look at people's track record. Maybe yeah. we look at the people they have around them. Yeah, well, Tammy, I do have one rebuttal for you. Mm -hmm. um, this is about Dolly Parton, but it's also just about black elected officials. And I want to share it with you. Is that okay? Yeah, totally. All right. And you can read Bianca's comment too, because it's good. Oh, yeah, that's tough. It's a long-term lifestyle. So we just, just got to hold them accountable down the road. Absolutely. We, like, no one ever stops being racist. No one ever stops being anti-black. It's a journey. It's a journey where you're always striving to be better. Mm -hmm. Speaking of people who are on a journey, and a very strange journey, I want to share this clip from Michael Pence that came out earlier this week. Kamala Harris said she would change the dietary guidelines of this country to reduce the amount of red meat Americans can eat. Well, I've got some red meat for you. We're not going to let Joe Biden and Kamala Harris cut America's meat. That's right. Wow, that is the most American statement I've ever heard in my life. All those people with cholesterol problems, like in that audience, booing about less red meat. <laughs> like that's just deeply American. Not out of breath, like. Ugh. Oh my God. No, that's crazy. The Reds are out of pocket. If it's okay with y'all, I'm going to switch gears into another story um, because I want to talk about the right wing a little bit because I've, I've been saying this for weeks. Something is going on in the GOP. Um, it looks like our show, Who's Your MVP for VP, might have jumped the gun a couple weeks ago since Herman Cain is tweeting from beyond the grave. 
Um, using the news of the recent Democratic VP pick, Kane's account has gone off slam dunking Kamala Harris. From saying that she has a ton of baggage and a political glass jaw to reminding us of Tulsi slam dunking her and taunting the left, they have really rebranded themselves as Team Kane, which is being run by you know his professional team, members of his family. So I wanna know from y'all, do you think that that's tacky or tactless, or do you think that that's actually tactical using right wing, especially black right wing support to like mount an attack? Um, and you know what, I'm gonna I'm a ask you first, Stan, cause you brought up like that clip, like do you think that this makes sense or is it just like in line with their recent messiness? It's tacky and it's tactical. But there's not, I mean, there's not that many high-profile Black Republicans. So just because you're not going to let a little thing like death stop you from using the voice of a Black Republican to try to convince Black people that the COVID virus is not killing them and that Kamala is a bad VP choice. This is what the Republican Party does. You know, this is the same party in the 2016 convention. They brought a woman on whose son died during Benghazi and let her give a speech saying that Obama was the one that actually murdered her son. And this woman was very obviously in trauma and in pain, and they took advantage of that. This is what they do. Yeah. Damon, do you think that, okay, granted, there's been a lot of tweets, but one in particular sticks out to me. In the wake of their rebranding, you know, they started going back on and they got attacked. And then they posted a tweet basically about how the left and progressives are hypocritical because some of us were gleeful about Herman Cain's death. And now we're saying that it's tacky for them to be tweeting. So do you think that that's hypocritical of us? Or do you think that they have some merit to use his account? I would say no, there's no merit. And, and just to piggy off of Stanley, it's, 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 it's uh, tactical tackiness, okay? Uh, um, really, I, I really think like when we look at the, the, the mainstream left, the mainstream progressive, those who have platforms and major influence, there was a lot of, Oh, Herman Cain. Oh, my goodness. This is so tragic. This is so sad to move on. There's always going to be some of us somewhere, you know, and to me, that's a rhetorical talking point. You can always find somebody somewhere saying something that you necessarily don't agree with. But overall, the left, the progressive uh, media outlets were very gracious, I would say, because honestly, Herman Cain in his death left that door wide open. <laughs> with his COVID tweets that he tweeted just before he died, okay? So in my sense, I think that lefts and progressives were actually extra nice. They could have actually taken the bait and went a little more hard on Herman Cain. But now that they're turning in his Twitter account into some type of, you know, they should have took some time to maybe let him die, let us have our feelings, <laughs> and, and then maybe rebrand it, take those members and turn it into like a Herman Cain political foundation. I don't know, you know, yeah. Cain Foundation or something, but for you to take the man's person and name and social media profile and turn it into a completely left bashing involved in politics is really tacky. I'm surprised the family even allowed that. I mean, well, his daughter is on the team. His daughter is on the team. So before they rebranded, it was the account said it was run by his daughter, but now it's saying like his team and his family. So I think now it's like a group. Yeah, they oh, should Selena. really expire. Yeah, Selena, I know we talked about it in the warm up, but <laughs> I know you with it. Can we use your account when you pass for pettiness? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> this is my consent. I'm putting it in my will. 
Once I die, continue to haunt and taunt, especially those on the right, except for my my friendly conservatives, because I don't want to offend anyone today. <laughs> but I mean, yes, I, look, it's it's creepy, it's tacky, but I mean, even Cardi B says she wants to record a, a video message to play at her funeral so that she can continue to shut her haters down even in death. Mm. I, like, I don't know if Cardi B is, says she'll do something like this and Herman Cain's team said that are doing something like this. Why can't we all? You know, I think if it's okay for if it's okay for like Biggie and Tupac to release like post right. tracks and Pop like, Smoke, are you kidding me? All this music that Pop Smoke is putting out now. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't this know. Family, you shaking your head. What's the difference? Pop Smoke completed an album before he died. So did Biggie. Tupac recorded hundreds of songs. So did Prince. Herman Cain is dead from COVID. And they are here thinking COVID is fake. This is wild, and I'm uncomfortable. He still had thoughts, though, Stanley, that yeah, he didn't he have did. a chance to get out. That's why. He still he had pre-recorded thoughts. Yeah. I don't think that's how that works. Well, in either case, he is making himself loud and heard, or at least his family is making his thoughts loud and heard. And regardless, there is always Rose Twitter to shut down the right-wingers who come too fast and too out of pocket. Oh, um, again? Damn. <laughs> okay, I have some other news from y'all, but this is an interesting international case. And Stanley, heads up, I'm going to be leaning on you a little bit for some information before we get to the questions. But on Thursday, President Trump announced that Israel and the United Arab Emirates have reached a peace deal that will lead to a, quote, full normalization unquote, of diplomatic relations between the two nations. The deal, now being called the Abraham Accords, was brokered by the US and is being welcomed by Israeli officials and receiving backlash by Palestinian leaders. It includes a mandate that Israel suspend plans to continue annexation of the disputed West Bank territory to normalize relations and uh, the agreement also envisions giving Muslims and Muslim countries greater access to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is in the old city of Jerusalem, which is really important. It's part of highly disputed lands, which means they're getting a little bit of access to that um, and allows them to fly freely from Abu Dhabi to Tel Aviv. Um, while some people are hailing it a historic day, Palestinians are big mad, and its officials are saying that Israel is being rewarded for the occupation. So, you know, countries like Britain and the West and Egypt are praising this accord, while Palestinians feel betrayed. The Palestinian president even demanded that the Palestinian ambassador to the UAE return home. So, Stanley, I'm going to get to you first. What does this actually mean for Palestine? It doesn't mean anything for Palestine that's good. What it means is that, I mean, the way that I take it is that the UAE, the UAE is looking the other way as Israel continues to run an apartheid government. There's nothing in this agreement that stops Israel from continuing to encroach on Palestinian land to build additional settlements. There's nothing stopping Israel from continuing to go into Israel territory, I mean, Palestinian territory and bulldoze homes while people are living there. It doesn't give Palestinian people more access to the country. It doesn't move towards a two-state solution. This almost seems as if the UAE and most of these other countries are giving up on a two-state solution altogether. So 
the UAE, they benefit because they get more access to some, to some of the holy lands. They'll definitely make some money off of this. Israel will be strengthened and, and confirmed as a more of like a, a, Midi, a Middle East power, but the power erased for the negotiation. This is a heist. This is white supremacy through policy, through imperialistic policy. Mm. You know, I, so we don't know too much about the actual deal yet because, you know, there was an agreement, but they're meeting over the next few days to sort of hammer out that agreement. We only know those few details, but I want to be American for a second. And Damon and Selena, I want to ask y'all, what does this mean for electability when we think about it? Selena, is this something, is this something that Trump will be credited with? Is this something to his benefit saying that he's beginning peace relations? Yeah, I mean, just that headline itself, Donald Trump is initiating peace relations in the Middle East. I mean, yeah, and I think that, you know, his base, they have been very outspoken. They're very pro-Israel, which is fine, but that doesn't mean that you have to be um, against Palestinians and the occupation that's been going on in, Pal in Palestine for decades. So yeah, I do think that it could help him to win an election in less than 100 days, um, especially knowing that his base is very conservative. Damon, what do you think his voter base is like reacting to? How do you think they react to it? I mean, honestly, his base is his base. I think he doesn't need to do anything but breathe to get elected <laughs> by his base. Um, I think the only way that this deal might, well, not even deal, that this headline might attract or bring positivity to his campaign is maybe some white evangelical suburban mom who has a little bit of conscience, who's looking for a reason to vote for him and not vote for Biden so she can ease her own conscience. So maybe she'd be able to say, see, he's, he's working out peace deals in the Middle East, you know, and, you know, Jared Kushner's really helping with that. And, you know, so I do believe there's a small, small block of voters that know Trump ain't qualified, know he's trash, but yet they're looking for something positive that they can cling on to when they argue the reason why they voted for him while the rest of the world is side-eyeing. Mm, good point, actually. Could I just jump in real quick? Because I think yeah. that like, it, it's, it's going to be, it could be more beneficial than we think because you're forgetting about Zionists. So there are the people, Jewish people who believe that Israel has a complete right to be a state and there should be no pushback and there should be no interference from Palestinians or any other countries. Getting an agreement with the UAE goes a long way in helping to potentially reduce pushback from some of the other countries that have historically been hostile to Israel because of their handling and treatment of Palestinian people. This is a big victory for Trump. Mm. Wow, interesting. I feel like the GOP is sort of scrambling for wins in these days leading up to the election. So I can promise y'all viewers that we are gonna keep our noses out for these stories of little things that they're doing to sort of subdue and trick the population um, into voting right. Um, speaking of, you know, some of these efforts, and this is going to be our last story before we get to our exciting main topic. Um, the Department of Justice on Thursday, same day, accused Yale of violating federal civil rights laws. And their findings are actually anti-affirmative action. What they're basically saying is that Yale is discriminating based on race and national origin in undergraduate admissions process. And for the great majority of applicants, 
Asian Americans and whites have only one-tenth to one-fourth of the likelihood of admission as African American applicants with the same credentials. So that means like, you know, for all, they're claiming that for all the black and, you know, Latin whatever applicants, only 10% of white people and Asians with the same credentials would be allowed in um, based on affirmative action. New York's dirtiest rag, as I like to call it, the New York Post, published a piece that Yale should not receive taxpayer money if discriminating against Jews and Asians. The interesting thing about this story is that something similar happened at Harvard a few years ago. Um, shout out to Shana for giving me that fact. Um, in 2014, a group called Students for Fair Admission, which is an anti-affirmative action group, attempted to sue Harvard over similar statistics where they felt that Asian and Caucasian students were discriminated against. However, the case flopped. And in 2019, a U.S. district judge in Massachusetts ruled that it does not illicitly discriminate. So the group filed an appeal, and we're going to hear an, or an oral argument in September 2020. Um, and while the Yale case is similar, we're living in really different times right now. So who knows if this will impact Yale in a positive way or a negative way. Um, all I know is that this is definitely a desperate grab by conservatives. Damon, do you feel like affirmative action is something that like blocks other races from getting good spots? Absolutely not. <laughs> First okay. of all, affirmative action, just look at the word, means to affirmatively act in a way because evidently there's an issue, okay? Evidently, number, first of all, when we look at Yale student population, if you just do a quick Google or whatnot, in 2017, it's like six to 8% of the students are black. Six to 8%. I also want to emphasize the word same credentials. People, these are black students who have proven themselves, yet only six to 8%. What we need to talk about is all the slots being taken up by uh, people who are on, um, their parents went there and their grandparents went there and or people whose parents work at Yale or people who are donors of Yale or in student athletes at Yale. I mean, most of the population at these Ivy League schools, these admission process happens because of legacy, because of money, people who, who are donors. So definitely not, definitely not. And it's the same trick they're even doing in New York City, we see when it comes down to the specialized schools and testing and eliminating that, that the right is using these, these sentiments, you know, manipulating these sentiments that people think that are based upon a false narrative by Asian and, and white parents and, and putting them against black parents, six to 7%. I think Yale has a right to say that diversity matters on our campus. And that is just not about you being book smart or you or just you about coming from a certain, we want people from everywhere. And in order to have a robust, diverse learning community, black people must be on campus. And you're complaining that we only have six to 7% of us and we're the problem. You've got to be crazy. They're but crazy. Okay, that's, go ahead, Stanley. I just want to cover the facts real quick. Uh, black students make up 5.6% of Yale um, students. Um, Latinos make up 9.4%. Asian makes up 13.9%. Legacy students make up 11% of all students at Yale University. This is a part of a long-term plan from the, um, from the right. They've been trying to get rid of affirmative action for years. They tried it with the Michelle Fisher um, Supreme Court case back in 2015, where this white girl didn't get into, into Texas A&M. And she tried to say it was because of affirmative action. They lost that case. Then it was a Harvard case. They went to the Supreme Court where they tried to say that 
Harvard was discriminating against Asian people. They lost that case. So this is pretty much the Trump administration and the Justice Department pretty much trying to go over the Supreme Court and undermine this process even more. It's yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I, would, I, would, I would just add, because I know we're running out of time for this segment, but I mean, if basically what Damon and Stanley just said, that plus there's no way to effectively discriminate against a large body of white folks. This country and the design of the systems we have in place put them at an unfair advantage. So the DOJ's, deci the DOJ's decision just makes it clear that they want to preserve these spaces for upper class, rich, and mostly white folks who can afford to buy and cheat their children into elite school, just like Aunt Becky from Full House did, and she got caught. Um, and also, if we think about it, you know, what, what Damon was saying about, you know, diversifying these campuses with different nationalities, races, and just diversity of thought, it is very important that we do that. And we also need to understand the educational challenges that Black students as, as a whole face. Black students are most likely to attend underfunded schools, uh, live in poor neighborhoods, and have less qualified uh, teachers. So all of this collectively is what is inhibiting and prohibiting um, our students from achieving their absolute greatness. And that's why these elite schools, they need to take this into consideration. Also, affirmative action benefits mostly white women. Black people aren't the number one benefactors of affirmative action. True. This is true. I'm going to wrap this segment now and give y'all something, you know, let y'all ruminate on those thoughts, but follow us and interact with us at Be Heard Talk on all of our platforms. I'd be curious to see what y'all think. Like, do you feel like affirmative action has been something positive for you and your community? Do you think that this lawsuit will go anywhere or this study will go anywhere? And if so, please tell us and I'll follow up with it on Tuesday in the News Roundup Extended, where we bring you these stories over IG Live. So thanks for listening, y'all, and I am very excited to get to our main segment. Thank you so much, Tammy. Uh, and with that being said, I know y'all. a lot of y'all pulled up to talk about the Kamala Harris and Joe Biden ticket, so let's talk about it. It's official. After months of speculation, Senator Kamala Harris was finally announced as the vice presidential nominee, making marking the first time in history that a Black woman has been chosen on a major party's presidential ticket. Not only is Kamala the first Black woman, but she is also the first woman of South Asian descent and the first HBC, HBCU alum to hold such a position. However, conservatives wasted no time using racist and sexist probes to attack her shortly after the announcement, calling her ambitious, and perpetuating birtherism conspiracies since she is the daughter of Jamaican and Indian immigrants. Newsweek went as far as to publish an op-ed that questioned Kamala's eligibility to be vice president, even though she was born in California and is undeniably a U.S. citizen under the 14th Amendment. Meanwhile, President Trump used racist rhetoric when describing her as so angry and a mad woman. Other conservatives pointed to her record as California's former district attorney and attorney general, saying that she was too soft on crime. On the other hand, Kamala has also been criticized from some on the left for her record as a prosecutor and her handling of cases involving police shootings of civilians while she was attorney general. So people on the left, some of us on the left, are saying that she was not progressive enough and stepping in to overhaul uh, police departments and that she sided too frequently with police unions. 
Her stance on capital punishment has also drawn scrutiny since, as an attorney general, she appealed a judge decision uh, declaring California's death penalty law unconstitutional. So today on Be Her Talk, we're going to unpack Kamala Harris, what she brings to the Democratic presidential ticket, the party at home, and Black America. And joining our discussion, we have a very special guest, Justin Landon, who was the youngest elected official and first Republican elected to a local city council in Northeast Florida at just 18 years old back in 2003. He is a licensed optician in Manhattan and a licensed realtor. He is also a husband and the father of two who lives in the Bronx. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you, thank you, glad to be here. So I wanna start this discussion by hearing some of your uh, initial thoughts about when Biden announced Kamala as his VP pick. Like I know for me, even though I have not always agreed with Kamala's politics and past decisions, I rejoice at this historic moment because it gives black women and girls uh, the ability to see themselves in a presidential candidate. I wanna start with you, Stanley. What was your initial reaction to Kamala Harris as the VP pick? You know, we're talking about Joe Biden here. So I wasn't expecting, you know, Joe Biden to pick AL. I thought that he Hold on, Stanley, run that back. What did you say? I said, this is Joe Biden we're talking about. So I wasn't expecting him to pick someone who was going to be super radical or on the left. I wasn't expecting him to pick AOC. It always looked like this was um, Kamala Harris's job to lose, and she didn't lose it. And as far as, like, progressive policies, Kamala is more to the left than Joe Biden. She's not as much to the left as I would like. But, you know, she's not a middle-of-the-road Democrat. She's not a cookie-cutter person. And she's much younger, and she affirms the fact that Black voters, particularly Black women voters, have been carrying the party. So I wasn't surprised. I wasn't super excited, but I wasn't disappointed either. Tammy, you have been very vocal in the past, actually very critical of Kamala Harris based on her record. How did you react and respond when it was announced that she is the VP pick? Yeah, y'all know I love to talk my talk. So I called her a cop on this show like 30 times. Like I might I might do a run back project in the future, like some sort of throwback where I try to find all the clips I have of calling her a cop and like put it together in a nice segment for y'all. Um, honestly, I'm unsurprised. That's it. Just unsurprised and unbothered. Who cares? Saw it coming. No big deal. So you feel indifferent? Yep. Do you feel any more strongly either for or against actually voting come 20, come November? No, it's crazy. It has not changed. It, it hasn't even, it's not even registering as like a change to me. So as of today, you still plan to not vote in the general election. Is that true? Well, I don't know if I'm going to not vote or vote third party. I like to vote third party just to get their numbers up to show that there are some of us in the states that want to dismantle the two-party system, but I still haven't decided. It just definitely still isn't Biden for me. Okay, fair enough. Damon, I want to get your voice on here. How did you feel about Kamala uh, being the VP pick? And how do you feel about some of us on the left who say, I don't care, she doesn't do it for me, still I'm not going to vote for her? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I myself, if you already know, last time I was on the show, I was pro Kamala Harris. I still am pro Kamala Harris. I was very excited beyond just being a symbol. I think she's beyond a symbol, though symbols are important. I also believe that she is qualified, that she's competent, that she's successful, that she exudes a lot of excellence. And though it may not be every little political decision I can say I agree with, overall, I think Biden picked a not just a Black woman, but Biden picked a very well-qualified, competent, successful woman who I think is going to do great. So I'm, I'm very excited. And for those who are on the left, I think, honestly, it's time to drop the primary attitude and get ready for the general elections and say, let's roll up our sleeves and let's work to ensure that a Biden-Harris ticket wins. Because let's just be honest, they are our options. I respect those who want to vote third party, but that is not a national sentiment or narrative that we should be pushing, especially among our peers who live in other, other states and other situations where that's not the case. I think we need to do all we can to make sure Biden-Harris wins, period, full stop. Okay, well, Justin, I want to get your voice here on this initial question because the ABC News Washington Post survey found that one in four Republicans approve of Kamala Harris's VP pick, while 55% disapprove. Justin, where do you stand? Well, uh, she's growing on me. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, she's growing on me. When, you know, when Biden came out and had picked her, there wasn't any, like, jumping up and down or anything for me. Um, I will agree it was definitely a safe pick. Um, and what I feel like is growing, making me grow with her, is more of the attacks uh, that her own people, uh, the Democratic Party, are going after her with. Um, it's actually making me feel, you know, I won't say sad because she can definitely take care of herself, but it's making me kind of like, well, hey, why is her own party trying to tear her down? And that's what's really kind of, uh, you know, eye-opening for me. Um, you know, they keep saying, oh, she, you know, put, you know, Blacks, African-Americans in jail. You know, at the end of the day, Senator Harris did her job. She did what she was supposed to do, what she was elected to do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, she, you did the crime, you do the time. And that's what she was there to do. I mean, I would like to see the other side. What if she was soft on crime? What would they have been saying then? You know, oh, she, she didn't lock anyone up. She let everyone run the streets wild. You know, she did her job and I feel, you know, confident that, you know, she's the type of woman that doesn't matter what she's got to do. If she says she's going to do it, she's going to get it done. Justin, great point and great question. You know, as someone, you are a Republican and you, you asked a really good question to Democrats. Stanley, I'll throw that at you. Why is it, to Justin's point, the Democrats are tearing Kamala down? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. So one, we need to be honest about this country and the world really not really liking black women, period. We don't, they don't like women, but they especially don't like black women. That's why a candidate like Hillary Clinton, who was head and shoulders more qualified than Donald Trump, had so much trouble. That's why Elizabeth Warren had so much trouble. And now, like Kamala Harris, is having trouble as well. And then also, um, and a lot of folks won't agree with me, but I think folks are punishing her for governing under for governing under an ideology that is currently today played out and that folks disagree with. So, you know, when Kamala was a district attorney and when she was attorney general, she was considered a progressive 
attorney general and a progressive DA. I don't think anyone here would now would say that her policies were progressive. I definitely wouldn't say they were progressive. And folks have some very big frustrations, and a lot of them are valid, about the way that she, she carried herself in that office, whether it was criminalizing parents when their kids cut school or fighting to keep people in jails, because if you take people out of jails and prisons, it would get rid of low-wage workers. So some of it is like valid complaints. Some of it is just like the natural dislike that we have for black women. Um, and then some of it is just folks are really just, you know, folks read the new Jim Crow and they saw an Ava DuVernay documentary, so now they think they're prison abolitionists. Sammy, I want to throw this back at you because, you know, Stanley gave a pretty strong argument as why people on the left are not gravitating towards Kamala Harris. Do you agree or disagree? Or do you say that her, her record as a DA and attorney general legitimately, legitimately concerns you today? See, my thing is, Stanley does make some points, but, and you know, a lot of lefties are gonna hate me for this, but that's cool. I'm, I'm vibing by myself on this camp. I'm a leftist, but I really can't stand leftists in this country. The way we organize is abysmal. And you know, I really, I came on this show very excited for your perspective, Justin, because I can really, you know, where I make, where we make peace, the leftists and the Republicans is like owning the libs and how messy they are. The problem with the Democratic Party is that there's so much infighting that like we cannot unify and align on an issue. And I think that there's a lot of misogyny and a lot of misogynoir towards Kamala. Yes, like Stanley said, but more importantly, the left is not unified enough to say like, this is forgivable for now, here is where we are, and here are the steps we need to take. The left really cancels people like immediately. And I'm guilty of that, right? Like I'm very young and I haven't seen, like I wasn't young enough to see her record as senator or as a, or as a prosecutor. And so I kind of ran with that cop narrative, which looking back now, I get how it can be silly to people who are like more in this for like the long-term game, but, it's really astonishing to me how like serious leftist groups and like really, you know, older experienced leftists will effectively shut someone down over like individual moral principles versus like the political future of their party. So I really think that, you know, people shut Kamala down because she's not the perfect choice. And some things about her make them uncomfortable and they don't know how to address that and move on and accept her. Damon, so Tammy makes some pretty good points. There are those of us in the left who are not voting for her for, you know, some of the reasons stated. And obviously, you know, we hear the attacks and we see her record. Do you think Kamala Harris being on the ticket with Biden helps or hurts Black voter turnout come November? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out here and this probably be against a lot of what people think, but I think it helps. I think it helps primarily because a lot of times the noisy, this is all due respect, a lot of times the noisy black voter, um, the headliner, the attention grabber, the one that is on MSNBC or whatnot, I don't know, a lot of times they are younger black voters that I've heard that's been giving Kamala, that gives Kamala side eyes and might say, oh, I'm not voting for her, or this doesn't excite me or whatnot. But when we're talking about the base, of black voters, you know, we're, when we're talking about the Midwest and the Southern black voter, when we're talking about Big Mama in them who who've been around voting for a while, who the bring Tyler Perry crew, <laughs> right, right, who bring husband, grandson. We're talking about the Souls to the Poles crew. We talking about the HBCU quintessential, you know, young black upcoming. 
that group is excited and they needed something. They were demanding a black woman. They got a black woman and they are excited. And I think what it's going to do is it's going to surprise people. It's going to activate affinity groups within the black electorate that haven't been motivated since 2008. I'm telling you, you know what I'm saying? The HBCU, the Divine Nine, the Lynx, the, the, all those people with all these major, major networks within the African-American community. Jack and Jill niggas. What'd you say? Jack and Jill's. The, well, yeah, the Jack and Jill's, but yeah. Not the Jack and Jill's. <laughs> they coming back, y'all. All these people are coming back, I'm telling you, and there is a wide network. And these are people, these are just not any black, but these are people with resources, with money, with connections, you know, with favors out, and they're going to make sure that that woman becomes the next vice president. And so I think it's going to, it's going to be electrifying that we can't judge it based upon Vox headlines and medium articles and, and all this other type of stuff and, and, and Twitter. You know. So Tiffany Brown left a comment in our Zoom chat. She says, if folks think our grandmas and aunties are not going to vote for Kamala, then I have a little bridge to sell you. I would agree. However, a recent poll came out that shows that young Democrats between the ages of 21 and 30, it was about 49% said they do are not going to vote for Biden and Harris. So to the point that you guys were making earlier, it is a lot of us who are, you know, older millennials uh, and a lot of us who, you know, are, are deeply rooted in the Democratic establishment. Um, Justin, I want to throw it back to you because you said Kamala is growing on you, even though you are a registered Republican. Would you vote for Biden and Harris in November? I, I would. Um, I don't know if I'm going to, but uh, I definitely would. Um, you know, I'll throw it out there that I did not vote for Trump this last election. He uh, had to throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw it out there. Um, but, you know, there's some things that um, I definitely like that he's been doing. Uh, but, you know, yes, at the end of the day, I can't vote for Biden and um, don't know what I'm going to do. I'm still paying attention. But going back to the last question that you were saying, um, is she electable? Can they be elected? I definitely think they can. Um, I'm from Florida. Um, just from what I'm hearing, the chatter all around that she has excited the Indian culture, the Jamaican culture. Um, they are ecstatic in Miami right now. And oh, all I'm, Caribbeans, all Caribbeans. Yes. yes. So it's going to be, you know, I think it's, I think it's something major. Um, you know, you're going to shoot me, but go ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, the young Democrats weren't voting anyway. Um, that's what lost the election for Hillary, in my opinion. So I'm not, I don't think they need to sit there and try to pander to them. I think it's a complete waste of time. They honestly, Biden um, and Kamala, they have to go after these independent voters. That's what's going to win this election, independent voters. Forget, mm. forget, forget the college kids. They're either going to vote or they're not. Uh, there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to get them out of their dorm room to come and vote. So Justin. Yes. Before I let you go, I have you. What is it that Trump did in the last four years that has you considering voting for this man? Uh, well, there's a couple little things. I mean, one, uh, agree or not agree, but one thing is I love his stance on America first. Uh, we have way too long taking care of other countries um, instead of taking care of our own. Um, he has stood up to NATO. That has been a big uh, thorn in my side, personally. Um, you know, he has made other countries finally put in money 
um, that they should have been paying a long time ago to protect the other countries. We've been paying it ourselves for so long. Um, so, I mean, he's been doing that. The FDA, um, this was, uh, this came out last year, a little old, but uh, the FDA has um, cut down on the pricing of drugs. Um, the generic drug price has dropped for the first time ever. Um, you know, I personally, I'd link that to Trump. Um, you know, when Trump says something, regardless of where we are, when he says something, actions happen, something happens. Whether the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down, whatever he tweets or says, there's some type of action. Um, go ahead, you wanted to say something? Can I jump in, Selena? Sure. So, um, a couple of things. Just to push back um, on the comment you said, when Trump, when Trump says something, things happen. Well, yeah, that's the power of the presidency. When you say things, you have huge impacts on people and on markets and on systems. That's, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not a power. That's not a skill of Trump's. And then also, you know, the, the price of medicine going down is also impacted about with how like they're negotiated across the ocean in the UK and other countries who negotiate as a government instead of letting private companies negotiate on their own. So, you know, I don't, I don't really give Trump credit for anything. I think he's a racist, and I think he is representative of the me mediocrity of white people and white supremacy in general. Um, but I'm glad that you're considering voting for a Democrat. Yeah, I'm also going to jump in here. I mean, has anyone heard of Alice Johnson? I yeah. mean, you know, Trump, Trump got her out of there. I'm not saying he sat there and did it all himself, but it was his pen, his hand, that got her out from behind bars. Um, I personally, listen, I, don't, I do not believe Trump is a racist at all. He says, wow. he says some pretty crazy stuff. Don't get me wrong. That's I do me. not believe, I do not believe Trump is a racist. I don't. Um, if you believe Trump is Maybe, but racist, I don't, I don't truly believe that deep down in Trump's heart, he's calling these people N-words as they walk well, up to him or he sees well, them. That's well, just well, well, Justin, and Justin, and you know, look, that's your candidate, you know, I, I I, I don't agree with anything you said, but I respect but I respect what you're saying to a certain degree. But Mary Trump, his niece, has come out and reported that she has heard her uncle say the N-word multiple times. And on top of that, he has a history of discriminating against Black uh, tenants inside of some of the properties that he owned here in New York City. And on top of that, he was the one who was trying to get the Central Park Five, those young Black and Brown teenage boys, uh, the death penalty um, after um, when it, when it looked when they were being being framed for raping a white woman, and then after they were exonerated, he said that um, the New York government was stupid for like even giving them a settlement. So I mean, if that doesn't prove, I mean, there's more than that. I mean, he's also called white supremacist, very fine people. He's also called uh, African and ha uh, Haitian and um, Haiti as a country, as whole countries. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on. Why don't you believe he's a racist? based off of what he has shown and proven to us time and time again? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, some of the stuff that he's done uh, before, I'm going to go pre-COVID-19 here, but the Black jobless rate uh, went down. Um, it was one of the highest in Trump's where he got the jobs back for African-Americans. Um, Obama didn't do that. No other president done that. That was Trump. That did that, and you can say at the end of the day that that was past work that that that, 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 that Obama did. We can go back and forth on it. I don't really believe that. Um, you know, 
I have seen a lot of articles, you know, African-Americans upset about, um, you know, Obama, what has he done for the black community? Um, but I mean, getting back on, getting, we're not here for that, getting back on the Trump situation. I mean, I, just, I, don't, I don't believe it. I mean, Trump has done stuff, I, again, I, for the, for the African-American community, again, the jobless rates, um, you know, I heard him speak about the whole Alice Johnson situation. Um, and he has spoken many times about the justice system. No president has really gone into detail and, and started about the, the criminal justice system and, and how terrible it is right now, it, where it has always been, excuse me. So, um, so I believe that, you know, Trump, if anyone can get that done, if you believe that, that Biden is going to change the criminal justice system, I think you won't have to wake him up. But go ahead, Selena. If I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Damon. Then we'll we'll go back to you, Stanley. If I if I can say this, I'm, I don't want to go too much into Trump because every fact that just fact or kind of fact that Justin threw out in these proper contexts, and I think that it, it lacks that, and we don't have enough time for that. But one of the things that we do know about Trump, even recently when we we're talking about the Senator Harris bit, is that him bringing up feelings of birtherism again, just like he did with President Obama, uh, putting those rumors out there, insinuating that somehow he's the other, that he's less than, that he's not American. He did that to President Obama. He once again is doing it to Senator Harris. And there's something to be said about that on how him and his whack base is responding to Senator Harris when she's coming up for the vice presidency. And we're not talking about racism. Listen, letting one Negro out of jail does not make you a non-racist, okay? But when we're talking about you creating a whole atmosphere that is very aggressive, okay? We're talking about a man who, who, who won't speak against police brutality, a man who has no, no understanding or, or no will, no political will to do anything about police brutality in our country or about policing. You bring up Senator, you bring up Biden and Harris on whether or not do you think they're going to do something about criminal justice? You know, that's a very good question. I'm not sure, even though they have, even though Senator Harris has the Justice and Policing Act right now that she's authored right now, that somehow the Republicans won't bring to the floor. But what we do know is that they are approaching what we do know is that black leaders can approach them and that Democrats can at least have democracy play out and we can use politics to pressure them. This administration that we have now, we can't pressure them around our issues and the things that concern us. They don't care nothing about us. And so that's my thing. That's the difference. Senator Harris, um, Biden are not perfect by any means. But what I do believe is, is that they're willing to meet. They're willing to sit down. They're willing to be pressured. And no candidate comes ready to eat. And I think that's what democracy comes in at. So. Um, Tammy, I, I know you asked to jump in ahead of Stanley here. And we do want to just keep this train moving. So, Tammy, did you have some reaction, reactionary thoughts quickly? Yeah, just quick thoughts. I wanted to say that, like, you know, this conversation is interesting. I know we've gone a little off topic, but to me, this is exactly what proves, like, people in my camp are thinking and like why the two party system really just does not work. I know we're sitting here having this conversation about like which side does better things or which side can be held more accountable. But the fact of the matter is they are this, which for our podcast listeners, um, I'm holding up a picture of the Spider-Man meme where it's two Spider-Men pointing at each other. And that is exactly how I feel about the two party system. Like literally, you know, Trump is, you know, sorry, Justin, but I got a side with my homies here. Like, Trump is an overt racist, and Biden is a covert racist. And within both, 
policy platforms, you see major problems that will impact the black community and will not solve our lack of health care, our lack of funding to schools, our redlined and segregated neighborhoods. Neither platform is talking about changing these in a major way. And so like when we sit and have these conversations, it's like, no, I don't really get excited about the democratic ticket because to be honest, they're just like the socially kind and like, it's, it's the diverse version, you know, it's the diverse ticket. We have a black woman on there, but you know, what, what does that really mean? You know, Justin likes Trump's foreign policy and how does that look so different from the democratic foreign policy? Well, thank you for that, Stanley. I definitely want to get your voice back in here. Uh, the latest point is that the two parties aren't that much different. That is the argument that Tammy is making now. What is your response to that and everything else being said? So a lot was said here, um, and I want to be like respectful of everyone's opinions here and just say that the both parties are the same is... Um, Stanley, you're breaking up. Start that again. All right. I said with respect to everyone's opinions, I want to start with the two-party argument that saying that they're the same is, it's, not, it's just not true. Right. It's, it's not true. There are a lot of similarities. There's an issue of capitalism and how it in, influences political parties and both all those parties are deeply influenced by capitalism in a lot of different ways and a lot of similar ways. So I can agree to that. But to say that both parties are the same is just completely inaccurate and completely false. And I think that it's, you know, it's just, it's not having long-term vision to say that both parties are the same because it's, that's just, they have consistently proven that they are not. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is I want to read a quick comment from Ben Nana, who is on Facebook, responding to Justin. And Ben says, Trump is absolutely a racist. Anyone who says otherwise is completely acting in bad faith or with willful ignorance. I actually want to push back a little bit on what Ben said. Um, I don't think it matters if Trump is a racist or not. Justin, if it helps you sleep at night to say that Trump isn't a racist, that's fine. I get it. Because if, you, if you're going to be a black Republican, it's going to be really hard to admit that Trump is a racist because then, then you have to admit your entire party is racist. And even though I would argue that they are, like, how could you hold down a party when you know they hate you? So I get where you're coming from with that ideology. But the problem with Donald Trump, whether he's racist or not, is that he's like most white people. White people are an, are an inherent threat to black people. And when they're insecure and afraid of black people and brown people, their ideas, their words, their actions can be a, a clear threat to black people and black lives. And then when you give someone who may not be quote unquote racist, but is afraid of black people, has negative stereotypes about black people, thinks that he is smarter than black people, you give him the power to change the laws and implement policy that can impact the lives of millions of people, what they do ends up being racist. I mean, sure, we can say that the Republican Party is not racist, but we can also say that the Republican Party thinks that black people are ignorant for supporting Democrats. And we can also say that the Republican Party believes that sugar-down economics will help all people, even though we have 40-plus years now of evidence showing that sugar-down economics does not actually work. And we can say the Republican Party maybe isn't racist, but they really do seem to love the police a lot. And even though we have over 100 years of evidence that police have been killing black and brown people, particularly black people at much higher rates than they kill white people, Republicans still put all their support behind the police. So we know all those things. So maybe you can say Republicans aren't racist, but we can also say Republicans seem to be really comfortable with the killing of black and brown people and supporting all the institutions that do that. Additionally, when you say that the black unemployment level went down under Donald Trump, that's not just patently false, it's completely out of this reality. 
Barack Obama came into the White House when we had the greatest recession since the Great Depression, the economic collapse of 1929. Black unemployment was somewhere in 20 to 30 percent. White unemployment was somewhere in 10 to 15 percent, the highest it had ever been since we started counting unemployment. And in his eight years, he worked within the framework of capitalism to help bring the unemployment level down. Black people always have a double unemployment rate than white people. Maybe those white people aren't racist, but we also know that white people don't hire black people and that black, and that black women are not likely to get jobs if they wear their hair naturally. And that black people are blocked out of communities and black people are blocked out of economic opportunities. So the fact that we're saying that the unemployment level for black people went down under Trump is not true because it's not the fact, but it's also not true because history has shown us that that is not the case. Actually, we have about 35 to 40 million people who are currently unemployed. Donald Trump is fighting to pull away unemployment benefits while also doing a payroll tax cut would only take money from Social Security and not help all the people who don't have jobs. The idea that Either you have to be completely to the left and want to revolutionize the world, or you're just a racist and you're a white supremacist. And I don't think it really is that simple. And I don't think we're being honest about. Your audio, Stanley, your audio is, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But no, thank you. Great point, Stanley. We are actually running out of time. So we are going to have to stop you there. Uh, I do want to just wrap up this conversation uh, and just say like, okay, so we heard a lot. And we discussed a lot, but I think that collectively what we are all aligned with is making sure that our community's voices are heard and represented come November. At least I would like to hope that is something that is deeply implanted in all of our, our hearts. Um, so, you know, final thoughts on this topic. Uh, I'll start with you, Damon, and also what needs to be done to make sure that our community, the Black community, our needs are, are heard and represented come November. Wow, what needs to be done? I think what needs to be done is that we need to vote. I think right now in this moment, we need to vote and we need to register voters across this country, just not battleground states, because we need to use this moment to allow people to come into the political process as a whole. We just don't want people to vote in federal elections. We want people to know that voting matters in everything that we do. All politics are local. And I think in this moment, when excitement hits, that's the message we need to leverage. We don't need to make just democratic voters. We need to make citizens, engaged citizens. And I think that that's gonna be very important. And I would encourage every young voter who's already registered and engaged, who may be liberal or progressive or left or whatever, please, I want you to do some reading, get some facts, you know, and, and, really, and really open up and broaden your mind a little bit to understand that there's more than just your personality or your person that you wanted to win or your ideology that in specific moments, sometimes we have to do specific things to ensure that we capture it so we can have another moment so we can continue to progress. So that's what I would say. Thank you, Damon. Justin, what are your final thoughts on this topic and what needs to be done so the black community will no longer be the forgotten community? Well, I definitely agree that um, you need to do your homework um, and you need to ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask the wrong question because there is no wrong question. Um, you need to ask what is each party, what are their platforms? What are they gonna do for me? What are they gonna do for my neighbor that lives next door? Not the person that's living you know, at the country club or anything like that. What are they doing for me? Um, you know, I personally, don't believe that um, Donald Trump or Joe Biden are very different. 
you can shake and, and get upset about it. I don't believe they're very different people. Um, you know, exactly. It goes right to your point. So, I mean, my whole thing is take a look, ask questions, do your homework, see who is who, what's going on. There are small differences. There's going to be like, oh, so-and-so does this, so-and-so does this, but just ask the questions. Um, going back to the topic of the situation, I do, be I do believe that um, Sleepy Joe has woken up his campaign with uh, Kamala. I think she's great, and um, it's going to be very interesting come November. All right. Thank you, Justin. Tammy, what needs to be done? So, you know, and I'm going to specify this. I mean, you identify as a young progressive. How do you think it, it would be best for your, you know, base, your, your demographic to be heard come November? You know, first things first, I want to clarify. Black people are not forgotten. It's not like we're not heard. It's that we're ignored. When it comes to elections and uh, polling, we are very critical to both parties, and it is very known. Trump was literally giving out money to black people to get them on the Republican side, and now the Democrats put Kamala as VP to appease us and give us representation and a voice, so it's not like we're forgotten. What I think is best for my base to hear is Stop accepting so little from the party that you prop up and you support. Democrats are not giving you what you need anymore, okay? Democrats are now hanging on to the thread that we are the less evil, we're the ones that are not gonna deport you and actively call you the N-word to your face, so vote for us. I wanna let people know that third party is something that is really, really important to look into and will be transformative to our country, I think, if we get out of this two-party deadlock. I wanna close with some statistics. According to the Federal Election Commission, if a third party gets over 5% of the vote in an election cycle, they are eligible for public funding in the next cycle, which means convention money, grant money for candidates, and public matching. So if people like me in states like New York, where we're pretty sure that we're going to get the blue vote anyway, step up and are unafraid to use that vote for third party voting, I think it could make a difference in expanding the next pool of candidates. And maybe we'll start to see, you know, a, con a party for conservative black folks that isn't openly racist. Or maybe we'll see a green party that's more focused on eco-conservatism. Either way, the two party system does not work for us. Thank you, Tammy. Stanley, is Tammy right? Should black folks vote for a third party come November? Is that the solution here so that our communities are not ignored or forgotten? No, there's not even a good third party candidate to vote for in this November. That's mm -hmm. the West. That's just pulling votes away from the Democratic ticket and helping Trump to win. So no, if there was a good candidate, we could have a different conversation about that. If you are in New York, you should vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on a working families party line. You should do that. Um, here's where I am now. There's what you believe and then there are facts. Justin believes that Democratic Party is pretty bad. It's just as bad for you as Republican Party, and he doesn't believe that Republicans are racist. And all facts in the world will tell you that this is just not the case. Republicans are racist. Hennessy is the best brown liquor, and Democrats want the establishment. Okay, Hennessy is a fact, but I think that's subjective. Yeah, it's not just Justin. Tammy believes the same thing, Stanley, but we do need to wrap this up. I mean, yes, they both believe the same thing and they're both wrong. The facts don't sit on their sides. I really, I deeply respect Tammy. I, I just met Justin, I like him. I respect their opinions, I think they're both passionate, I think they're both smart, but they're also wrong. 
And if we're talking about transforming this world, I got some bad news for you. The revolution is not gonna happen tomorrow. And if it did, we wouldn't be ready. You have one side who is fighting to destroy black lives and hoard money for a small group of people. Then you have another side who is trying to maintain the establishment. Only one of these sides gives an environment where you can actually organize for real change to get the things that you need and push for the actual revolution. And it's not the Republican Party. And it's not Donald Trump. And it's not Mike Pence. So you might not like Joe Biden. You might not like Kamala Harris. Um, I'm not big fans of them either. But I do understand that in order to change the material conditions of the people but want to help out, I need the space to organize. The only thing you can organize under the Trump administration Stanley, your, your audio. Stanley, we can't hear you. I'm sorry. I said there's, there's one group that will change, that will create the universe where you can organize to change the material conditions. That's Disagree. Disagree. Hold on, Tammy, because these are final thoughts. We'll save this for part two. Go ahead, okay. Stanley. <laughs> There's only one side that gives you the space to organize to change the material conditions. That's the Democratic Party. So you don't have to like Joe Biden. You don't have to like Kamala Harris. I don't like either one of them. But I understand that I can organize in the universe much better than I can in Trump's. And the fact of the matter is, politics, elections, it's a contact sport. You have to stay engaged. I'm here for the long run. Thank you so much. And I just want to end by saying this. To all my folks on the right, and those on the far left, this is a question for you. Do you support an end to mass incarceration? Do you support an end to cash bill? Do you support an end to the death penalty? Do you think that we should have a national police system review board? Do you think that HBCUs should be debt free for students? And do you think that we should have police accountability legislation, meaning should we pass the Justice and Policing Act? If your answer was yes to any of these policy or plans or proposals, then you are directly aligned with Senator Kamala Harris's policy platform. Okay, so when we want to talk about facts, let's talk about the facts. Put your ideas aside. We need to let and give people the space to evolve because the, the truth of the matter is I wasn't calling to defund the police two or three years ago, let alone 20 years ago. So when, when the crime bill was passed and when Kamala Harris was in office in California, People have evolved and we have been successful in pushing the Democratic Party further to the left. Why? Because we're still in the party and we're organizing and we're galvanizing and we're in these streets telling them what we demand. And honestly, has change been slow and gradual? Yes. But is it actually happening? Yes. So until somebody gives me a, a, a better solution come November, which is less than 100 days, you better believe me and whoever I take to the polls are going to be voting for Biden and Harris. On that note, I want to thank everyone who listened to Be Heard Talk today. If you were listening via podcast, please share this and tag us at Be Heard Talk, hashtag Be Heard Talk. And thank you so much, Justin, for being brave enough to actually come on this hardcore left progressive platform to state your piece. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Damon, again. Uh, we will see you guys next Sunday. Take care. Bye, y'all. Peace.